0: Fuzzy Logic, we're talking artificial intelligence. Are robots taking over the world? And uh, (laughs) how are they going to help us, hinder us, or hold us back completely? All that coming up today on Fuzzy Logic. Good morning, Canberra, and welcome to Fuzzy Logic, your science on a Sunday. My name is Broderick, and it's a pleasure to have you with us this morning as we are going to take some steps into the worlds of artificial intelligence and explore that and what it means and what's going on there. But to help me through that today, I have someone joining me in the studio. It is Phoebe. Good morning, Phoebe.
1: Good morning, user. (laughs) I've been practicing that all morning.
0: <laughs> very good. It was, it was a pretty good effort. Thank um, you.
1: I'm, I'm trying to adapt to society. What with me being a robot and all. Oh
0: yes. You're yeah. doing a very good job. Oh good, good. Yeah. You know, um, most things compute, uh, mm-hmm. all, all of the time. Uh, yeah, yes. I think,
1: I think it's dress code that I'm not understanding the most. I mean, I'm wearing a ball gown right now. That's, <laughs> that's what you wear on the radio, right?
0: That's right. Sunday morning ball gown. All yeah. 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 Totally. Um, also helping us out today, we have our good friend um, who joined us last time. Good morning, Siri.
2: I have very few wants.
0: <laughs> good <laughs> friends more like good. good acquaintance. Yeah, I, I don't know uh, quite where Siri is going this morning. Um, she's maybe still asleep. Siri, I like to use Siri as the example of artificial intelligence because she never quite gets it right. Well, you know, that is just... probably
1: the most, the closest example we have that people use day to day of well, artificial intelligence. Would you say?
0: I think so. I think so. She does a pretty good job at at um, you know pretending like she's thinking about what's going or caring. on. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, she could, she could do certain things quite well. You know, like what time is it, Siri?
2: The time is 11.04am. Hmm.
0: That, that's pretty good. Uh, what's the weather outside, Siri?
2: Here's the forecast between today and the 29th of March, 2016.
0: That's that's uh, quite a bit into the future. It's 15 degrees, it, according to Siri. It,
1: it's not the 29th of March, is it?
0: No, no, no. She's she's looking into the future. Oh, well, she's telling oh. me today and into the future. Oh. You know, She's, she's quite clever. Um, so it's uh, 15 degrees outside, according to Siri at the moment. Ooh. And, uh, yeah, we'll keep you there, Siri, if we, in case we have any questions uh, as we go through today.
1: So I was just thinking it was interesting that we refer to Siri as a she. I'm guessing because there's a female voice. But do you think with, well, let's just jump right in and say robots and such, do you think that they get given a certain gender slash sex? You know how we, you know people refer to, like, boats and ships and planes and stuff as a she does that rule apply for robots
0: uh, no no because one of the robots we're going to talk about later today is watson which was developed by ibm and uh watson is a he is it uh, he has a male voice okay um and i assume that's partially because of the name given to watson which is a, a male's name uh well i mean it's a last name really but well, from hang on, from Sherlock what, watson Coles. in
1: elementary is played by lucy Liu, and what's ah, she in that so true.
0: maybe watson the computer came out before uh, lucy Liu played watson <laughs> i think so um but yeah watson watson has a male voice whereas um the the robot that prompted all this today alpha go uh has well, I mean that's that's really a, a genderless name, mm. <laughs> AlphaGo, and uh... no,
1: it's actually one of the top baby names of 2016. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm
1: not, I'm not. I'm joking, everyone. Please don't name your children AlphaGo. Well, first of all, I had to look up. So there's a robot that's been built to learn how to play this game called Go. And first of all, I had to look up what the game was, and it's sort of like super chess or a different version of chess very strategic and
0: it's a funny one because it it, like uh, any good game it's very simple simplish to learn but takes years to to master master. isn't that what the
1: guy who invented Atari that's like his quote the best it's, games are easy to learn but hard to master. Yeah.
0: Well, and I feel like that's what go is because I started reading it and I'm like, "Oh yeah, that's easy, you know." But then um the the grandmasters have been playing for years and they're they're super developed.
1: That's a long um, game.
0: But yeah, well, not not for <laughs> one game. Just uh, in general. Uh, but yeah, to explain the game for those who haven't seen it, imagine a grid, um, 19 squares by 19 squares. Uh, so that gives you 19 by 19 is 361 playing points on the grid. Um, and at each intersection um, of the squares where the lines meet, that's where you can play your counter or a stone. Um, and the stones you can play are black. One player is black, one player is white. Very simple. And the main object of the game is to put those stones on the board uh, and to form territory by surrounding vacant areas of the board. It's also possible to capture your opponent's stones by completely surrounding them. Uh, Okay. And these are the way you earn points. So you take turns placing one stone at a time on a vacant point in the board. Uh, Black plays first. um, And uh, once... uh, the stones are played. Um, they can't be moved, but they can be captured, uh, in which case they're removed from the board and kept by the capturing player as prisoners. Uh,
1: oh, okay. Yeah.
0: At the end of the game, the players count one point for each vacant uh, square, vacant position inside their own territory, so areas they've oh, locked I get off yeah, with okay, their yep, co- yep, counters. Yep. 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 And <clears throat> they also get one point for every stone they've captured as well. Um, so the player with the largest total of territory plus prisoners becomes the winner. Um, and the game basically plays until uh, the players decide that they can't capture any more territory uh, without putting themselves in a captural position. And um, So you don't necessarily fill up the entire board with stones, um, but it's when both players mutually decide that the game is over and no one else can do anything. And so then they count up the points.
1: Oh, gentleman's mm. Agreement. To end the game,
0: uh, almost yeah, yeah. One per player challenge, assuming someone hasn't stormed off and is like, "I hate this game." <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> and so, this computer AlphaGo designed. Well, it's interesting. You said it was designed to win at Go because that's that's not quite true um, in terms of it. The only th- the only reason being so the. Humans have a history of creating computers to play games. Uh, The very first of these being... uh, Oh, the very first uh, famous one being uh, Deep Blue, uh, which was designed to play chess.
1: Boy or girl? Deep Blue.
0: Deep Blue. Oh, I never thought. Mm. Maybe I thought it was a boy because blue is a (laughs) boy's (laughs) color. Maybe. Maybe. But um, the interesting thing about that one... So Deep Blue uh, beat uh, chess grandmaster... Um, Gary Kasparov in 1997, and Deep Blue was explicitly programmed to play chess. Like that was its sole purpose in life was to play chess. They um, gave it a, a program of this is how chess is played. These are all the rules that you need to follow. These are how people play in various games. And now you're going to play chess. And Basically, it could use its predictive power in playing chess, which was uh, slightly better than a human's predictive power, to predict what would happen into the future as it made certain moves. And that was eventually how um, it, it uh, won chess.
1: Mm, do you think it lost its sense of purpose once it beat this grandmaster?
0: That's right. It just went off the rails. Deep it's blue like, got I, very <laughs> blue. <laughs> solved all its problems, sat there drinking battery acid and... Uh, <laughs> Down in a small alleyway, feeling very sad for itself. Yeah.
1: We could write a screenplay. I mean, we shouldn't, but we could.
0: yeah it's it'd be interesting i mean now you're getting into computers with feelings we're going to discuss sorry, that later. sorry. i'm jumping let's, ahead let's, I'm jumping no, let's not go to so we're starting with saying
1: okay so deep blue was created and had all the rules and all the predictions and everything put into it so it basically knew how to just win at chess and yeah, be the best that's and right that's what and, and there's,
0: there's limited options in chess yeah. um and there's uh and in chess too, each piece has different value um, for what it can do. And so they're able to put those values into the different chess pieces to promote certain moves because that's going to you know, protect your king or protect your queen or that sort of thing or sacrifice a pawn, which is okay. Whereas in Go, it's, it's very different because each piece is equivalent. Um, which kind of opens up for more moves that you can do, and with the nineteen by nineteen grid, uh, that means that's much bigger than a chessboard, which is eight by eight. Um, and wow,
1: that is a lot bigger. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's it's massive. It yeah. is, and um, and uh, the average one hundred and fifty game, one hundred and fifty move game of Go uh, has about ten thousand one hundred and. Uh, ...70 configurations... ...um... ...no, I beg your pardon... ...the average 150 move game... ...contains more possible board configurations... ...than there are atoms in the universe... ...yeah...
1: ...my jaw's hanging open...
0: ...yeah... Whoa. ...so that's not 10,170... ...that's 10 to the power of 170... ...good so grief... 10, yeah. ...so massive... ...so imagine like... ...if uh, the computer was working the same way... ...as it was for Deep Blue... It's, it's literally trying to look forwards through all those many, 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 many possible moves.
1: How did the person programming this, how did this person sit down one day and sort of, I was going to say, and go, well, go. You know what's a great game? Go. Do you know what's really hard? How am I going to program this thing? Given that it has a billion, kajillion, million different sort of ways. I mean... Well, this has
0: been seen as the ultimate challenge because yeah. Go, Go has been considered um, the the next level of, of where artificial intelligence should be heading uh, to develop this. After we, we'd sort of solve checkers, chess, um, and we've even solved Jeopardy, the uh, quiz show, which we'll get to uh, Watson and uh, Jeopardy a bit later mm. on. But but yeah. you were
1: saying that this Alpha Go was invented not necessarily to win at Go. But it was designed to learn how to play the game,
0: right? That's right. And so um, the AlphaGo program was applying deep learning in neural networks, which sounds like the way our brain operates, really. And that's what they were trying to simulate. They, they used programs that were inspired by our brain um, in which they were trying to make connections uh, between uh, layers of simulated neurons Uh, and uh, strengthened these through examples and experience. Uh, So basically, uh, the way AlphaGo went about learning how to play the game was it studied uh, 30 million positions from expert games of Go, looking at abstract information on the state of play from board data, um, and how, you know, that from this board they played this and look at, and slowly learning how people play the game um, by looking at 30 million different um, previous games. Uh, and then it started teaching itself by playing against itself. Oh, wow. On 50 computers at the same time. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, so th- things that humans can't do. But with each iteration of the game it played, it... Um, it learned different ways that it can help win the game and this was this is known as reinforcement learning um and so it's it's trying to to reinforce um what it's doing uh by selecting the the best move by scanning a sample of simulated future games um and then taking it one step further um as a not only searching but the ability to pick and interpret the go board um if you if you think about it in some ways it 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 really is operating the way humans do in that it looks at the board in front of it and there are however many possibilities on the board you know there's 300 and something squares to start with you start taking a few away heaps of possibilities but a lot of those squares are in uh, a lot of those positions. People just intuitively look at and go, well, there's no point playing in any of them. I'm going to ignore them and, and, and just dismiss that. And that's what this computer was learning to do, was learning which, which positions it can dismiss quickly and which positions it needs to look further into so that it can start processing further, if I play in this position, what's going to happen. And rather than having to do that for all the positions on the board, it just takes the ones that actually make sense, that are going to be the winning ones, and it's really quick at being able to dismiss the bad ones and think about those good positions.
1: But I wonder, because surely it's doing it in a, in a more efficient way, I suppose, because, I mean, when, when you play a game... And I guess it's doing the same thing. You sort of think back to past games and what worked and what didn't and where you're going to go. But surely there must be a level of, I don't know, what your favourite square is for some random reason. You know, if the board is clear to start with, who's to say that you're not like, oh, I always go with the left side of the board versus the right side of the board because that's just some weird personal preference. Whereas a computer wouldn't necessarily have that, would it?
0: No, no, that's right. And so one of the the strangest things was in uh, the second game so the this alpha go recently challenged or well, didn't challenge the makers challenged um <laughs> the world's best um go player uh, go grandmaster lee Sedol, um to a five game um challenge so best of five games um and they played out all five games and uh the, uh, the computer won 4-1 um, wow yeah, so uh, so uh, Lee Sedol won one game. Um, the computer won four, and in the the computer won the first game. And in the first game, uh, it was considered that uh, the computer. Now, I have to find this note here because it's a really interesting um, idea. It was kind of considered that the um, uh, the computer was. Um, Not not lucky as such, but it it just kind of went through and and won, um, you know, not not in complete domination, but, you know, won reasonably well. Whereas in the second game, it just completely dominated. And from almost the first move, uh, Lee Sedol felt like he was on the back foot against the computer. So which
1: Um, round did... Did the master win? Uh,
0: they won round uh, three, I think it was. Oh, that's interesting. Um, so they played all five games anyway, just yeah, to see yeah. how it went. Um, but yeah, but in the the second game, um, the interesting thing was that the uh, AlphaGo made a move that was so surprising that Lee Sedol had to leave the room for fifteen minutes to recover his composure what yeah
1: so he did have a moment of i hate this game
2: (laughs) he he did i hate all of you
0: He, he, he did and and the interesting thing was that it was um according to one of the commentators it was not a human move so what does that mean well so on the game board uh they had a section of the game board where they were playing there was lots of counters in there and you can imagine in a in a game where you're trying to seal off territory a lot of counters start being placed together so you can start to seal off that territory um, and uh, parts of the game board end up quite empty uh, um, because there's you know there's no point continuing there while you're trying to seal off this area of the game board and maybe as the opposition player you're being defensive against that and so you know there's an area of focus and at one point in the game um, the uh, alpha go put a, a counter in a completely empty area of the game board, there was one one counter from Lee Sedol in that that position, and he put it over there. Oh, well, the AI did he or she? Um,
1: wow! Yeah,
0: and and the the reason at the time, it, as as the commentator said, it was not a human move, but what it was doing was it was thinking down the track. Yeah. About what was going on. And in fact, it was quite a smart move um, to do that. Uh, beca-
1: I guess to have that predictive
0: To, to have that part predictive so, power. So
1: early. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. And
0: so it was just kind of amazing. Um, but then the other side of things is Lee Sedol's game that he won. Part of the reason he won it, which actually made AlphaGo make a mistake, was that he put a piece randomly.
1: Whoa! Like,
0: and and I, I haven't been able to find whether that was Lee Sedol's decision to do it randomly or, or whether he... what the thought process was behind that. But basically, he put this piece randomly on the board and the computer just couldn't quite handle it.
1: Interesting. Yeah,
0: yeah. And so then um, the computer made a mistake or two and then... Lisa Doll was able to win a game back. Oh,
1: and then these little, like, angry squiggly lines came out of (laughs) Yeah,
0: (laughs) That's right, that's right. So, yeah, so it's kind of really interesting um, about that machine learning because that machine, as much as it learnt from previous human games, it also played all those games by itself. And so this is is characteristic of of, um, machine learning. It's not constrained by human experience or expectations. It's just doing what it's programmed to do and trying to win in the best way possible.
1: So where that takes me from there is, you know, people sort of talk about oh, you know, the way AI's AI going, you know, robots will be taking over the world and they'll be killing us
0: <laughs> and taking our jobs and all this sort of stuff. Mm. Well, they already are taking our jobs, so I won't deny that. Yeah, you know, but, but they're, they're, not, not, they're not the
1: jobs that we super want, are they? No,
0: no, they're the, they're the repetitive jobs where the robot isn't really thinking, it's just doing what it's programmed to do and moving one thing from here to there. Right, so that to about. me,
1: because I was reading an article that came out shortly after the you know AlphaGo um, robot this other guy. And it was sort of saying, sure, uh, you know, the way that we're programming and everything like that is it's very exciting and it's very interesting and there's a lot of ways it could go. But to panic that robots are going to take over the world seems a bit hasty at this point in time, just because and even with this AlphaGo robot, sure, it learned, which is a really new you know, phenomenon, a robot that can then learn. And it's not just has all the rules downloaded into it like Deep Blue. But If it's only going to learn about AlphaGo, then what's the risk? If the AlphaGo robot starts making a coffee each morning before the game and stalking the other players' houses to get an advantage, well, then you've got a concern. But I think... I I guess it goes to the point of if a robot can learn on its own about topics not within its parameters, then you have an issue.
0: Yeah. I I think the biggest concern at the moment with... um, robots that can learn is not necessarily that they're learning in things that they shouldn't, um, but what we apply, uh, that robot to do, uh, and, and right. how it's going to behave in that situation, uh, especially if we're putting it in a situation where it may face, uh, moral or ethical challenges.
1: Like in iRobot.
0: <laughs> like it, <in I> like <laughs> or or something that's um, more relevant at the moment is uh, in self-driving cars. Yeah, you know, there's a classic um, uh, uh, m- morality or ethical problem, um, which is uh, known as Philippa Foot's famous trolley problem, uh, which is that a trolley is running out of control down a track in its path of five people who've been tied to the track by a mad philosopher. Fortunately, you could flip a switch, which will lead the trolley down a track to safety. Unfortunately, there's a single person tied to that track. Should you flip the switch or do nothing?
1: That's really interesting because yeah. my partner went and sat... Um, I think it was the interview for it was for medicine or, or, or something like that. I don't know what stage of the process it was. Mm. And they had this conundrum presented to them and I sort of thought straight away jeepers what a yeah. grim conundrum to sort of be presented with
0: mm. well I'm gonna let you stew on that listeners and you're gonna stew on it too Phoebe I want to hear your response oh. uh, whether you'd keep going down the track with five people or flip the switch to one have do a you, think do you about have it. any
1: other information about the people or does no that, okay no
0: you don't know if one's Hitler um, oh. <laughs> or anything like that so uh, an interesting problem we're going to have a song and come back to that problem after this song. And you are listening to Fuzzy Logic right here on 2Double X Community Radio. That was the Avalanches with Frontier Psychiatrist, which we, we thought was an appropriately uh, strange and interesting piece to play. Yeah, on- well,
1: you know, if there's a risk that they're going to, you know, robots and computers are going to start doing everything, well Good luck coming up with something like that. It's brilliant, but so very weird.
0: Indeed, indeed. All right, the time's 11.30, and we are talking about artificial intelligence today on the radio. I forgot to ask Siri what time it was. Um, Sorry, do we have another question for Siri? Uh,
1: Do you have artificial intelligence?
0: (laughs) Siri, do you have artificial intelligence?
2: Checking on that. Okay, I found this on the web for have at
0: official intelligence. <laughs> okay, no, Siri didn't hear me. She thought I said have at official intelligence. <laughs> she's
1: just dodging the question. Yeah,
0: that's, I think so. I think so. Um, mm, we might get back to Siri later on. <laughs> <laughs> but before we went to the break, oh, we should have asked Siri about oh, the trolley problem. I feel like the trolley problem is probably a bit too compli- complicated. If she didn't understand you Siri? saying artificial
1: intelligence, yeah. she's never going to understand you saying, and then there's a track, and then there's some people on it, and then there's a switch, and then mm. there's a blah. (laughs) (laughs)
0: so before we threw to the song phoebe was talking about the concern of some people that you know robots are going to take over the world and um artificial intelligence ruining everything and (laughs) running it all and and i in my opinion i don't think it is except when we start putting it in situations where it has to make ethical or moral decisions and the the big uh ethical or moral decision here is um the famous trolley problem. A trolley is running out of control down a track. In its path are five people who've been tied to the track by a mad philosopher.
1: Why a philosopher, may I just Well, it's a, it's
0: a philosophy problem, I feel. So rather than a mad scientist, which you probably expect, they've gone with a yeah, mad philosopher. that's
1: true. Scientists must get a bad rap Yeah, them. Sorry, continue.
0: So maybe a mad ethicist. <laughs> um, fortunately, you could flip a switch, which will lead the trolley down a different track to safety. Unfortunately... There's a single person tied to that track. Should you flip the switch or do nothing? What would you do, Phoebe?
1: So I guess the question really is, do you let five people die or do you let one person die? Is really the question, right? Mm. <sighs> That's really tough because, I mean, I'd like to say, you know, oh, the hero and me would sort of jump on... The one that's careening towards them somehow slowing it down, tipping it over, and everybody survives, hooray! But that might endanger me, so
0: yeah. And I, I don't think that's a choice. Um, I don't think you can actually save the day. <laughs> yeah,
1: but that's what I mean. They haven't even written in the variables. Okay. Yeah. Well, I well, I guess I'd say I'd uh, I'd flip the switch because wouldn't you say that killing one person is well, not better, but you're saving five lives?
0: That's what I thought, too. Oh, great. <laughs> but uh, as I told you during the break, apparently I chose the uh, psychopathic answer. What? Um, apparently, in some, in some psychological studies on the trolley problem, the humans who choose to flip the switch have been found to have underlying emotional de- deficits <laughs> and score higher on measures of psychopathy, defined in this case as a personality style characterized by low empathy, callous effect, and thrill-seeking. <laughs> I, I don't know. feel like
1: that's fair at all. My whole choice was based on the amount of lives and but, but, but,
0: but, but, but well, what is
1: the right answer? You meant to let five people get smushed?
0: Potentially, I mean yeah, it's a very it's a utilitarian view to say that you know you go off to the one person because one is better than a bad thing happening to one person is better than a bad thing happening to five people. But then an alternate viewpoint is that since moral wrongs are already in place in the situation. If you switch the track, that constitutes a participation in the moral wrong.
1: You're participating anyway. Do you, well, well you're no,
0: because you're... you're in in Ah!
1: But, well, that's the thing. If you walked away from this... Yeah,
0: and that's right. And under some interpretations of moral obligation, simply being present in the situation and being able to influence its outcome constitutes an obli- obligation to participate. So then deciding to do nothing would be considered an immoral act if one values five lives more than one it's so hard it's it's uh, exactly
1: you'd walk away with extreme guilt if you did nothing and then well you'd walk away with extreme guilt either way Mm. i just
0: well and and this is this is the thing in a real life situation you know there's there's options and there's different things you could potentially do to try and stop anyone being hurt but in this pure and simple moral problem context it's so difficult and and this is the way that artificial intelligence needs to operate because even if it can learn it it's the computer programming and that side of things is still learning from rules
1: Mm.
0: And putting rules to morals and ethics is really difficult.
1: Well, so, going back to iRobot, mm. which is the one where Will Smith is... There's, it's like in the future, and robots do a lot of stuff. And, and, and this happens. It sort of revolves around Will Smith, and a robot makes a choice to save his life over someone else's. And he's sort of like, that wasn't okay, and they should have not saved me. They should have saved the other person, mm. and, you know, rah, 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 rah. So, <laughs> if the robot is making these choices... And Will Smith is disagreeing with him, being like, well, these robots must be psychopaths. In that situation, the robot would make the same choice that we just did, I would imagine.
0: Yes. Yes, that's right. Because, because naturally, we program that five lives are more valuable than one.
1: Yeah. But
0: there's so much in there that we're not looking at and paying attention to.
1: Only because the problem wasn't letting me.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And so it's it's a hard thing. Um, well, that
1: comes back to what you're saying about driverless cars, because isn't the whole risk now that if there's going to be, you know, if there's an accident pending, whether or not the car will value the life of, say, you know, if, if it's going to collide with the pedestrian or that of the driver. And some people would say, well, why would I want a car that values not my own life? Mm. Which, you know, again, sounds very yeah. sad, but...
0: But what if the car can control itself such that you end up with a broken leg but avoid killing the pedestrian...
1: Yeah. Well. Yeah. And and
0: then how do you value that? And and this is this is where it gets it gets difficult. And there's some questions that we'll have to answer as we move into artificial intelligence. And I think uh, self-driving cars are probably the next area where that those que- those questions are being asked, and they will have to be asked because that technology is coming closer and closer to being on our roads. In in actual operation, and so
1: it's interesting because I was having a conversation with um, a bunch of my friends not so long ago about this this very thing, and they were sort mm. of saying, "It's you know sure driverless cars and everything that that makes sense, but it's only going to work if everybody has them. If some people have them and some people don't, like you were saying with Alpha Go and doing a random move just completely jangled." you know, the computing of of AlphaGo. So if, if, you know, a driver is driving their car and they make a random move, then the other driverless cars are going to panic because they didn't anticipate that. And then who's to say it doesn't go horribly wrong from there?
0: That's an interesting one. Because most of the accidents that have occurred with driverless cars so far have been because human drivers are inattentive. And it's, Interesting. And it's been thing- Was that in Canberra? <laughs> <laughs> mm, no comment. Uh, but the the thing has been things like uh, the driverless car will stop at the traffic lights before entering the intersection, even if it's a green light, because the intersection it can't cross the intersection, you know, as all human drivers should do. If you can't see a clear exit from the traffic light intersection you shouldn't enter it you should wait until it's clear you know in a traffic jam or something like that right um and you know probably about 50 percent of human drivers do that um but the driverless cars have been rear-ended by human cars because um they've stopped at the intersection seeing clearly that they can't get through and the human driver behind them hasn't been paying attention and just gone straight up the back of them
1: Interesting. Yeah,
0: and and so that's a that's a difficult one there because clearly it is the human's fault. Um, and the should it be random human acts in front of them? I think the driverless cars are actually pretty good at responding to what's going on. If you have a look at one um, doing all its uh, calculations, I suppose you'd call them, but observations and calculations as it's driving along, the amount of observations it is doing far exceeds the level of observation of a human driver. Uh,
1: well, that and presumably as well. A driverless car wouldn't sort of become more complacent as it's driving along, as we would. That's
0: right, that's right. Um, I mean... there there can be different levels i know i did uh, a motorbike got my motorbike license a few years ago and one of the things they get you to do when you're doing that is talk about the fact that you need to be more aware than when driving a car um partly for your own safety because you're on a bike rather than in a metal container um but uh and also because you can't help what people do around you and one of the things they actually tell you to do is to commentate the road uh, and talk about what you're seeing and what you're doing. And that's actually something that does make me more aware. Uh, and quite often... Uh, do you if... mean allowed? Yes, yeah, allowed. allowed. You do
1: that aloud as you drive along?
0: Uh, I did when I first got my motorcycle licence. Oh, I had on a driving
1: bike. instructor who did that, and I just thought he was mad. <laughs> yeah,
0: no, and occasionally I'll do it in my own head uh, in the car, especially if it's busy, uh, to talk about different things. It's amazing how much you can improve your observation levels by doing that. But it still doesn't beat the driverless car, which has just got vision everywhere and Mm. can totally see what's going on. But then the other thing
1: as well is, if every individual car company is making their own version of these driverless cars, isn't there a risk that they're not going to align unless everyone's working off the same software?
0: Well, but how do they need to align? Like, surely if they're all trying to drive safely on the road...
1: But I don't know. So, you know, let's say that one car company does the thing that you were saying before, that, you know, slows down even though it's a green light at an intersection, whereas other ones, they're like, oh, no, we don't do that because drivers don't do that, so we just go straight through, so...
0: Mm. No, well, I feel like the basic level would have to be that they follow the road rules. and, And... and if you don't stop yeah if you so as long as they have that built in that they're following road rules, and naturally they're going also going to be built to avoid other cars to avoid collisions,
1: yeah, well, that's
0: true, mm. but it is, you do have to be playing all out of the same playbook and following the same rules, yeah uh, and it and it gets difficult when it gets fuzzy, uh you know, the blurring of the lines there. Um, and that's, that's interesting because that's in some ways what uh, the computer Watson did when it played Jeopardy. It had to think about uh, some fuzzy data when it started interpreting the Jeopardy questions and started to look at how um, it might answer them from not necessarily set facts on, the, on its program, but, but it's a, researching it doesn't have a articles. connection
1: to the internet. How, how is that impressive?
0: It does, but there's a lot of interpretation that goes on when we look at stuff on the internet to read things. Mm. Uh, And we might get into that in a little bit, but before we jump into Watson, we'll have another song. There you go. State of the art music. State of the art there from Goche potentially more well no artificial intelligence there that's very electronic though
1: just button mashing
0: button mashing indeed as you
1: did to get us back on the air
0: actually yeah yes that's right (laughs) mashing buttons there was a point there where the um the the song went quiet about two minutes before the end and there was almost some panic button mashing (laughs) to get us back on as i thought the song was over but it's not we're fine we're going we're professionals yeah, and before we went to the break, we were talking artificial intelligence, as we have been all show. Let's
1: talk about Watson! Let's talk about
0: Watson. Watson is uh, a, a piece of uh, a computer that was developed by IBM Research, and it was part of a challenge that they undertook to build a computer system that could compete at the human champion level in real time on the American TV quiz show Jeopardy. Now, there's a few different things that it has to do to be able to compete on Jeopardy! And before the break, you were talking about the fact that Watson had a connection to the internet, so therefore it should just know everything and mm. be able to do it, which I totally agree with, but I also disagree with mm-hmm. <laughs> because there is so much interpretation that's done in our when we read the internet and when we read things. And so, just and that's not only in the question that's being asked, but also the answer that's given too. So some questions, and these are all actually based off Jeopardy questions here. So well, hang on, hang on, hang on. on.
1: I think we need to clarify. Oh, so in, yes. in Jeopardy, if you don't know, when you give an answer, you actually have to give it in the form of a question. So it's sort of like a reverse show. So I think, you know, in terms of it's not just like, oh, you know, what letter comes after A? And then Watson can Google it. and Well, what what is B? It's sort of... They're a little bit trickier than that.
0: That's right. So let's, let's give an example here. Um, so a, a Jeopardy question in the category, and each, each question comes under category too, which is really important. So in the category general science, uh, the clue or the answer that would be given to the contestants is, when hit by electrons, a phosphor gives off electromagnetic energy in this form.
1: What is light?
2: Correct.
0: That's right. And so that's how the the game would be played. Um, and so you can see there. There's some key words in there that um, that Watson could potentially pick up from. So electrons hit by electrons, phosphor, electromagnetic energy. And so it's going to start searching for those terms to find the correct answer. What is light? And there's some pretty easy um, answers that you could be. Uh, Working out from that, you know, pretty easy to interpret clues that give you simple answers. Another example, head north is the category. There are two states you could be re-entering if you're crossing Florida's northern border.
1: I'm thinking...
0: No, that's <laughs> all right. It's the answer is what is Georgia and Alabama? Uh. But again, pretty pretty simple to to look at. You know, Florida's northern border. Um, but then again, you are asking Watson to interpret. You know, what the that map and potentially it's it's googling things and finds northern border states that border that. Um, but sometimes, was,
1: wasn't sorry, was Watson competing against human players
0: too he was oh, he was okay and we'll we'll have a listen in a moment to um well cuz i was just thinking given how
1: long it has taken us to use Siri for an example she's not like she's quick but she's not i wouldn't say she's that quick if <laughs> if you can beat people on jeopardy Watson must have a pretty good Google rate.
0: Watson has a pretty good Google rate and huge processes as well. Uh, And so I I don't think it's necessarily going on the internet. I think they have downloaded a lot of that information into its memory banks already. So it's done its learning uh, Mm. as to the information it needs. And then it uses that information to bring it together. But um, there's some uh, different uh, styles of clues on Jeopardy that then make things more complicated, more complex. Um, So, for example, ones that have uh, multiple facts about the answer. Uh, So for this one, um, from the category rap sheet, rap in uh, quotation marks there, uh, which gives you the clue on Jeopardy that everything contains the word rap in it. So... The clue here is this archaic term for a mischievous or annoying child can also mean a rogue or a scamp.
1: Rapscallion? What, uh, what
0: is a rapscallion? What is a rapscallion? <laughs> That's right. So, you know, you got to get it in the right term. But there's two clues in that one. So Watson yeah. has to be able to break that down into, okay, this archaic term for a mischievous or annoying child, and then this term could also mean a rogue or a scamp. And put those two facts together, go, where do we cross over here? Rapscallion. Uh, Another example is uh, from the category diplomatic relations. So of the four countries in the world that the United States doesn't have diplomatic relations with, the one that's farthest north you're making a funny face there Phoebe no i didn 't know I, I this be, one I either be okay and so there's there 's an inner and an outer sub clue in there the inner sub clue being the four countries in the world that the United States does not have diplomatic relations with, which Watson can easily find as Bhutan, Cuba, Iran, and North Korea um, and then from that of Bhutan Cuba Iran, and North Korea the one that 's farthest north mm. and that 's North Korea so again processing that information getting the the different parts there to break down into another section and then the the even harder step in jeopardy are questions that are based around puzzles so for example one of the commas, there's a couple of common puzzle uh categories that they have one is before and after so this is a before and after where the it gives you clues to two things and generally they have a word in common to make one giant answer I don't think I've ever heard of this uh, So, So, for example, uh, the clue here, before and after goes to the movies. Film of a typical day in the life of the Beatles, which includes running from bloodthirsty zombie fans in a Romero classic. Okay, so let's break it down. Let's (laughs) break it down. What just happened? So, sub-clue number one. Film of a typical day in the life of the Beatles. So, we're looking for a Beatles film that showcases a typical day for them. Oh,
1: that's not help, is it?
0: No. A Hard Day's Night Oh, that's it Yeah, so A Hard Day's Night And then running from bloodthirsty zombie fans in a Romero classic So that one's Night of the Living Dead Oh So then the answer becomes A Hard Day's Night of the Living Dead so you, I can see your face making look at this, and that's because it does require a lot of interpretation. What's going on? How can I put this together? And so it's sort of uh, fuzzy thinking that it's doing here to put those those categories together. Um, and so it has wow. to learn how to interpret um, human prose, human text, and and put that together and and find subject and object of sentences. Use. Um, Use context as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, For example, uh, we flew over the red bow of the boat. Now, in a written form, we flew over the red bow of the boat? Is there a red bow that's tied up like a ribbon bow? Mm. Is there someone with a bow and arrow on the boat? No. And of course once you put that in context you know that you're talking about the bow of the boat as opposed to the stern so it must be a red bow of the boat and as humans we can do that context very easily mm. but for a computer to be able to read those context clues it makes it much more difficult. And one final type that I quite like on Jeopardy is the rhyme time which is uh, uh, where Two, you get clues to two things that rhyme together. So, mm. for example, uh, it's where Pele stores his ball. <laughs> so Pele is a what sport does Pele play? Soccer. Soccer, and where would you store something? In a bag. No, it rhymes.
1: Soccer. So d- locker. Locker. Hey!
0: <laughs> so that's right. So to be able to work that out, though. Uh, Watson has to go through So Pele stores his ball Pele ball Well that's soccer That's probably reasonably easy For it to work out But then storage place Where can it store stuff It's going through things like Cabinet, drawer, uh, safe You know And it has to find The rhyming one In there Except for the people
1: That refer to soccer As football So (laughs) food to you Jeopardy
0: (laughs) Yeah So let's have a little listen To uh, Watson on Jeopardy And uh, see how it goes
2: T.J. Watson Research Center in Yorktown Heights, New York, this is Jeopardy!, the IBM Challenge. And now, here is the host of Jeopardy!, Alex Trevick. A little while ago, we had a drawing to determine which player would select first. Brad, you won that, so if you're ready... Make your first choice. I'll just point out but here that Watson is playing against two Four human Jeopardy for champions. A vantage point or a belief. Red. What is a view? Yes. Uh, alternate meanings. 400. Four hundred. Four-letter word for the iron fitting on the hoof of a horse or a card dealing box in a casino. Watson. What is shoe? You? you are right. You get to pick. Literary character. APB for eight hundred. Answer the Daily Double. Now Watson, although you have but four hundred dollars, you know of course that you can risk up to the maximum value of a clue on the board, and that is a thousand. One thousand, please. I like right, Watson's confidence here. For you. <laughs> Wanted for killing Sir Danvers Carew. Appearance pale and dwarfish. Seems to have a split personality. Who is Hyde? Hyde, yes, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. All of oh. acceptable. You're now in the lead with fourteen hundred. Go again. Beatles people for 200 And any time you feel the pain, hey, this guy, refrain. Don't carry the world upon your shoulders. Watson, who is Jude?
0: Yes. I I must point out here that Watson actually has uh, various levels of confidence. So for that question there uh, where he was asked, and any time you feel the pain, uh, who carries the world on their shoulders... Uh, we're actually looking at um, the um, confidence level there, and it has a 98% confidence for Jude, but then it has 10% confidence in sad song and <laughs> 9% confidence in make it better. So if you know the track lyrics to Hey Jude, it's actually going take a sad song and make it better. So it's kind of picking out different areas in there to play with. Let's play one more song. Watson, uh, one more song? One more question.
2: Jude. Yes. Olympic oddities for 200. Milorad Kavich almost upset this man's perfect two thousand eight Olympics, losing to him by one hundredth of a second. Watson. Who is Michael Phelps?
0: Yes. Go. Amazing. Far out. I, I know, and you can you can totally see what it's predicting there, can't you? Yeah. That it's um it's it's doing a lot of searching and interpreting of that, and uh that's what we can see with what's <laughs> Meanwhile, going on. I'm
1: not even trying to get the answer. I'm just sitting there like Duh, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I do that time in jeopardy yeah because it's just. It's very quick.
0: That's right. And so this is the cool thing about Watson is not only is he amazing at Jeopardy, but that sort of uh, fuzzy interpretation of data and what's going on is now being used in many different systems uh, to interpret what people actually are ask when they're asking a question uh, in things like Google and help patterns on various programs uh, so that computers can learn about systems and learn about the world around us to provide us the answers in an even better way. That's very cool. Pretty amazing stuff. So, yeah, so we've kind of covered a a huge gamut of uh, artificial intelligence things today, from Deep Blue, the chess player, to Watson, the Jeopardy champion, to, um, oh, and I should point out that Watson well and truly won the (laughs) uh, three-day Jeopardy challenge that he played, ending up on... And
1: is now on a winning cruise in the Bahamas. Well, that's right. (laughs) He
0: he, he did win a million (laughs) dollars for his efforts. Um, But, uh, yeah, so lots of different... uh, Uh, Amazing things. And then we moved on to the AlphaGo champion from there. But that just about wraps it up for today. So uh, thank you very much for joining me in the studio again, Phoebe.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: And uh, thank you, listeners, for tuning in to another episode of Fuzzy Logic. Make sure you tune in next week. We will have an amazing Easter show coming to you. And I know they're going to be talking a little bit about dinosaurs. Uh yeah. But it's gonna be very interesting. Eleanor's got some amazing stuff lined up for you, so make sure you tune in next week on Easter Sunday for Fuzzy Logic right here on two XFM Community Radio.